This is the Bartholomew Town Podcast. All right, we are back in action. B-Town new episodes resume today with the Providence Journal's Amy Russo. And first of all, hope everyone has been enjoying these last few weeks as I've taken some time away from the pod. Certainly been working, been out in the field doing reporting, been on WPRO, been doing work for Rhode Island PBS Weekly, and even performing again. Have had some great shows with the band and so on and so forth. But Great to be back here with Rhode Island's podcast of record, Bartholomew Town, after a much-needed few weeks off to kind of uh, reset. It's been an unbelievable 18 months, obviously, with COVID-19 and just been pedaled to the metal here on B-Town. So a great reset. Got a lot of great stuff coming up uh, throughout the fall, some great guests booked and some interesting topics that we're going to dig into, including today, again, with Amy Russo of the Providence Journal, who is a recent transplant to the Ocean State from New York City, where she worked at the New York Post, Huffington Post, NBC News, and now is a city reporter for the Projo and has a great column, new to RI, in which she explores everything from Dell's Lemonade to quahogging. I mean, you name it. It's a great piece of content that's a weekly column by Amy. So we talk about that. We talk about Rhode Island politics, media, driving in the Ocean State, Good stuff. Look out. That's an interesting section of today's conversation. Um, By the way, folks, if you want to support the independent journalism, entertainment, opinion, analysis, and much more that B-Town provides, well, head over to our Patreon account, patreon.com slash BartholomewTown, where for as little as $3 per month, you may help to sustain this program. That's patreon.com slash BartholomewTown. Okay, with that, let's get to it. Amy Russo here on B-Town. Welcome back into B-Town. Here we go again after a month away, back in action. And what better way to do it than with the Providence Journal's Amy Russo. Thanks so much for, for hopping on. Thank you for having me. So I love your column. So basically, I guess you came from New York. Is that is that sort of your story? Yeah, I spent the last six years in New York and then, you know, had a lot of turbulence career-wise, job-wise. And finally, uh, my very last job loss led to this amazing opportunity and the move to Rhode Island, which uh, couldn't have turned out better for me. Were you working in print in New York? I worked in a whole hodgepodge of things. I started out uh, in college, actually, freelancing for a couple uh, local papers in the city that have now since folded. Mm -hmm. And um, then eventually went over to the New York Post and then um, did digital, and then did some radio, and then did, uh, I guess, TV, sort of. Uh, it was uh, NBC News's partnership with Quibi, which was a short-lived streaming platform. So it was just a, a whole hodgepodge of everything. Um, but basically, the, the point was finding some place where I could get paid to write, which I think is just an absolute dream. And uh, so eventually the job with NBC ended because Quibi folded and there are lots of online articles that can tell your listeners what happened there. <laughs> if I can uh, skip the whole long, uh, you know, uh, story about it. But um, yeah, coming here was definitely, it was happenstance, but it was a, uh, a really great thing. Yeah. And, you know, I've always imagined um, because I spent 10 years in New York and I've always imagined the whole time I was there, I was just such an obsessed, uh, I was so obsessed with consuming media, but I was working as a musician and also a zillion part-time jobs. And I never, 
I never worked in the media. I always dreamed of like, oh man, I, I just need to get an internship or this, that, the other. It, it's always fascinated me the thought of whether it's in print or radio um, or digital or even television. What what is like the pulse of working in New York like? Is it is it very different from working in Rhode Island as far as like just the tempo? Because in other industries I was a part of, it definitely was. Yeah, I I think there is a difference. I mean. I have to say a newsroom is a newsroom in my opinion. Like we all have deadlines. We all have, you know, editors who want stories who, you know, will check us on what we're doing and other reporters we team up with. So I guess the structure is like more or less the same wherever you go. The expectations are kind of similar. But I think in New York, like after a while, you get a little burned out. Um, the the pressures are quite intense. And um you know, I, I what came across when I was there was a really competitive atmosphere, both within organizations I, I was working at, among people I worked with, um, and out on the beat at press conferences and such. And in Rhode Island, I have to say, you get so much more of that New England kind of camaraderie. Even even when I'm out, like you know, seeing people from the globe that are you know obviously are our competitors, it's always a friendly relationship. It's always a nice conversation. Hey, how are you? How's it going? How was your weekend? I love that because you know at the end of the day, we're all putting out news. We don't need any kind of you know more stress than there already is in the job. And I love that sense of you know not only do my colleagues have my back and I've got theirs, but other people around me are also very welcoming, which has just been so refreshing. Even though I love New York, I will always love New York, but the vibe is extremely different. Yeah, no question about it. And I definitely agree. It's it's really interesting how you say that because I, I feel the same way. You know, I'll bump into somebody from like Channel 12 or some whatever, and there'll be a conversation about Oh, what are you working on? Oh, you, you know, oh, you interviewed the governor. Oh, interesting. How did it go? And it's not sort of like this prying, like, oh, really? Let me let me see how I can, you know, can I get the can I interview the governor tomorrow before your piece airs or anything like that? It's it really is. I I felt very supported um getting into this business over the last few years by the other people who are out in the field. And I've learned so much from them just by being in the field. And friends of mine who work in, in media in New York have said, yeah, it's it's not that so much when, especially when you're talking about like independence or smaller outlets, you know, there's a tendency to get steamrolled if you're not like extremely aggressive. Exactly. Yeah. And I think, you know, you can kind of force yourself to be that way. I tend to be more introverted. So it's always been like push pull with me mentally. I feel like I have to force myself, but but in New York, it's it's to the point where like you feel like you have to like come at someone to get an answer to something, which I can do. But I have to say, yeah, years of doing it, you know, you start to get a little exhausted after a while. You're kind of like, does it have to be like this? Yeah, definitely. I I completely understand the burnout. Even though I'm I miss New York so much, and I miss the I miss that competition in a way. But at the same time, when I when I compare and contrast, it's like. Oh, okay. No, I like, I like it here in Rhode Island quite a bit. So you moved up and I remember first seeing you, I think at the COVID-19 briefings and yeah. I was like, all right, new person, new young person. This is awesome. I'm super excited. And then, then I discovered you were the Projo and I was like, oh, that's great. I'm so happy to see the Projo expanding coverage and expanding, um, younger 
voices as well to go along with the legacy voices there. Like when, when you first arrived here, what was your first impression of Rhode Island? And that kind of leads into the column that you've been working on, I guess. But what, what was your first impression and like how quickly did it take for you to adapt to the pulse of this Southern New England media market? I think, honestly, it didn't take a long time for me to feel comfortable here. Uh, I will say that I really love New England. I um, had some family that retired on coastal Massachusetts and um, usually vacation there with family. So I, I felt like I knew New England itself pretty well, and I definitely traveled around New England a lot. But Rhode Island was the one state I had not been to yet. I think every other state in New, New England I'd been to, spent time in, was somewhat more or less familiar with so coming here I was like wow like I think I'm gonna like it like 90% chance I'm gonna like it but like what if I don't what if I'm wrong <laughs> and then I the, the moment I got here I thought no way like this is great this this just feels like a natural fit to me and it was you know at a point where I felt like if I really exhausted my opportunities in New York if that phase of my life is over then I think this feels like the natural next step and it definitely felt that way I would say you know I I, I can't say that I feel like I, I've learned everything obviously I've only been here six months so and you know I guess you never stop learning so um, but I can say at this point I feel very settled in which is a nice feeling um, so yeah, I think that answers your question. It does, yeah. Okay. So you've got this amazing column, which is first of all, in and of itself, like wow, that's that's great content for Rhode Island to have. But this column that is basically you discovering Rhode Island. You know, you try Dells for the first time or Quahogs or whatever it is. Talk about that. Like, what's that been like? It's kind of like this paid adventure that you get to have every week. It really is. It's really the most incredible writing opportunity I've ever had. And I, there are some stories that I've done that I've loved. I spent a few weeks reporting abroad once on an issue that was very uh, dear to my heart as a journalist. But I mean, it, when I look at all those different things stacked up together, I'm like, the column is really this like gift that keeps on giving. You know, every week it's, it's kind of this excuse to go out and and be an adventurer and sample something new and and really you know there there are no limits any what i like to do is instead of using my own ideas and frankly because i'm not a rhode islander i can't say that i have a huge number because i, I know things people tell me but like naturally i'm not going to know where to go to do what so I usually solicit ideas from readers and everybody has sent in just a multitude of amazing suggestions from food to entertainment to outdoorsy things to do. And uh, I have to say, yes, you mentioned quahogging uh, or cohogging, however it is people pronounce it depending on where you live. Uh, that was definitely among the top experiences so far. It just felt like uh, like a true Rhode Islander doing that. It was great. Uh, so yeah, the column has been fantastic. What's the thing that you've found to be the most shocking or like, okay, uh, I, I can roll with this, but uh, it's kind of weird. Has anything come up like that so far? In the columns or in just the column, in general? Or even in general, like that you're like, yeah, I won't be doing a story on this. Hmm. That is a great question. Uh, I'd say perhaps the the most quirky thing I've done might be the pickleball 
uh, column, yeah. which is sort of this hodgepodge mix of, I think, tennis, uh, badminton, and, and table tennis. Uh, but that was actually really fun, I have to say. And that is something that I hope to <laughs> be back in Bristol doing uh, one of these days just for fun. But in general, like in terms of living in Rhode Island, I have to say, and I've said this so many times that I almost feel a little bad, but I don't. The drivers are so bad. I'm oh sorry, Rhode Islanders, but I, I can't take it anymore. I feel like I'm at my wit's end. I I didn't drive before coming here much. I mean, I, I've driven. I have a license and everything, obviously. But, like, I lived in New York. You don't drive in New York unless you're, like, fabulously wealthy and you or you live in, like, deep into Brooklyn or Queens or whatever. Yep. So, I mean, I, I didn't have a lot of experience, but six months in, it's it's bad. It's bad. Yeah. Everybody speeds. Everybody's going 80 when the speed limit is 60. Um, but, you know, I, I have adapted. So it is one of those things that I recognize it. I can adapt to it. It'll be fine. But it's stressful. Yeah, it is. It's it's actually a real thing. And I think you hear a lot from the transportation advocates, the, especially the pedestrian and bike advocates that say, hey, look, you know, the, there's a danger to a lot of our infrastructure. And frankly, I'm not interested. I'm out here in Elmwood in Providence and I'm not interested in riding my bike here. I've ridden my bike all over Brooklyn and Manhattan, but here there's something that just, that doesn't feel like it's safe. I don't know. I don't know where that comes from or if it's a respect thing, an education thing or what it is, but there's just, an, there's a culture of um, obliviousness slash recklessness that is, is part of driving here. I agree with that totally. Yeah. I, I won't even bring my bike here. I biked a lot in New York, especially during the pandemic. I'm talking hundreds of miles collectively, which is bike everywhere, bike recreationally, bike, uh, you know, to Brooklyn uh, from Manhattan, which is a pretty long ride. So, but here I, I, my bike is sitting in my dad's garage upstate because I'm like, I, I just don't trust it. I don't trust it. And it's funny because people think, oh, biking in New York must be dangerous, right? I don't think it really is because drivers are so used to seeing cyclists out. There are a lot of bike lanes, even when there aren't. I've been biking in between traffic. It's been fine. I don't feel like freaked out. But here, I, I'd be nervous. <laughs> yeah. Well, I want I want to talk about uh, Rhode Island politics and the Providence Journal's legacy and kind of stepping into that. We're going to take a quick break right now. We're back. B-Town's back. Look out. This is the Bartholomew Town Podcast, Rhode Island's podcast of record. For daily breaking news and analysis of everything happening in Rhode Island, follow me on Twitter at Bill Bartholomew. So Rhode Island politics is, a lot of people see it as a sport. And it's like, okay, well, we, we, we do have the Boston professional teams here, but, you know, we've got college basketball. But in many ways, the State House serves as, like, the sporting epicenter for <laughs> Rhode Islanders. Um that's different than New York for sure. As far as the, I think the amount of people that know what's going on in politics, the amount of interaction you have with elected officials, the old anecdote of, Oh, I bumped into Nellie Gorbea at stop and shop. And she, you know, I told her how great her, you know, early voting program was things like this that happened or even Senator Whitehouse or whatever. Um, what's that like? That's a big transition. And just from your perspective, what do you think of Rhode Island politics? I find them very amusing, honestly, and it's it's a great change because obviously in New York you're dealing with a, a far bigger constituency, and I I don't think there is as much focus on the state house, and 
I guess when, when the state is larger, when you've got so many people, it, it doesn't, government doesn't feel as accessible as it is here. And of course, I mean, I live right next, almost next to the state house, right down the street. Yeah. So I have to say, maybe I have a skewed perception, you know, I'm not living up in Burlville or something, but, um, it, it does feel a lot cozier. I, I was always told when I moved here, like everybody knows everybody. And I think that's very true. Um, I bumped into Senator Whitehouse already when I walked uh, in the Bristol parade for one of my columns, uh, the 4th of July parade there. Yep. So it feels like, you know, politicians are very close to the people. And just broadly speaking, I think that's one of the great benefits of, of reporting at at the local level rather than, you know, at the federal level or, or something. Cause I feel like there's a lot more action. There's a lot more, you know, entertaining, crazy, funny things that happen, just engaging things that happen. Um, so yeah, I'd have to say it's, it's a, it's a nice change. It really is engaging as a reporter though. I, I have to say, obviously I'm not one of our political reporters, but I'm a, I'm a city reporter, but yes, very much. So it is a, an interesting place to be. Yeah, no question about it. And obviously, Kathy Gregg and Patrick Anderson are the the state house political reporters, so right. to speak. You know, but and I'm sure they might have a different, a slightly the amusing aspect might be amended slightly in their case. But time, <laughs> I'm guessing that they they think it's pretty fun, no doubt about it. Yeah. The Providence Journal is a legacy newspaper, and it's um you know there's people who criticize, oh well, its circulation is down and this, that, and the other, and and but I think that's true for all legacy media around here for the most part. Obviously, we see new things coming in and and growing, but oftentimes the growth is in the digital space. Do you get the sense that the Providence Journal is in a transitional moment, and that because of its legacy brand, that there's a chance for with a voice like yours to reach new readers and expand upon the 150-ish, maybe more than that, years that this paper's been in existence? Yeah, I think the one thing that that we'll we'll always have over other papers is our history. uh, Oldest uh, daily newspaper in continuous uh, publication, which I know the Hartford Current would disagree, but there's a little technicality there, which is that uh, the, the Current wasn't a daily until... Uh, a little bit after we were. Um, but anyway, so you've got that history factor, that longevity, which I think makes you always a trusted voice, no matter you know what happens, the ebbs and flows of you know economics in the media, which which frankly, you know, to be fair, is is everywhere. It was it was in the digital space when I was there, which was you know partly the reason that the Quibi project that I worked on shut down when I was at HuffPost. I was there through three rounds of layoffs uh, that were really large, actually. We, we lost entire desks. We lost an environmental desk there, and, and I think a health desk. And, you know, it was crazy. So it really is everyone. I think the answer is people supporting their local newspapers, people getting subscriptions. We do have a lot of really great content. I do think it's a great thing that um, we've had myself, we've had uh, Antonia, who's another new reporter, come on. We have um, our new executive editor, David Ng, who I guess is not really new anymore, but new-ish. Yeah, and I, yeah. yeah, we're getting we're getting you know a couple more women on the staff and a little more diversity. Um, 
So, and I think the more we can kind of diversify our voices, speak to different communities, reach out to more people, you know, all the better. So I, I think that combined with the paper's longevity is, is always going to be a good thing. Yeah, I, I agree with that entirely. And it's, it's interesting, the thought of building upon legacy brands, um, not only in media, but especially in media and going into the digital age as, I mean, look, they there's still a joy to reading an actual physical newspaper. I'm somebody who listens to AM radio still, you know what I mean? Like way more than I probably should, <laughs> you know what I mean? But AM radio is great. I, I had a year long job in AM radio back in New York and I fell oh, really? in love. Which one? Yeah. Which station? It was WCBS 880. Oh, that's, I have spent, first of all, I grew up on that station, but I, I and I just actually talked to Wayne Cabot yesterday, but Oh yeah, mm -hmm. a legendary voice. I mean, like it, like yeah. this is. Now we're talking like this is like my my heart and soul. You know what you're talking about there, but yeah, WCBS is a perfect example of like, you know, I've watched so many air checks on YouTube of like the theme song in and the format of the of the 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 wheel as they call it the the basically the. Um, the hour of, of news coverage and how it's formatted, what the music is, the, the traffic and weather together on the eights, the whole format <laughs> of it. And it's yeah. amazing to watch it evolve from a random day in 1968 or whatever it is, 1969, and then 1984 and da, da, da. And then you get to today where now they're owned by Odyssey, but that brand is still there and you can sense that they're like, all right, we're we got to move into podcasts. We've got to move into live streams, but we'll always have 880, no matter where you are. Frankly, from Detroit through North Carolina, and that, yeah, that big reach. humongous reach, a monster signal. Um, mm -hmm. But that'll always be there. You know, that'll even if they eventually get to a point where cars no longer have AM radio and or even AM FM radio you get the sense that a WCBS or a 1010 wins or a WBZ, even a WPRO here in Rhode Island will find a way to adapt. And I think the same is definitely true in the print space. And yeah. You're really right about that. Yeah. It's funny because on, on a much larger scale, you know, every few years when people talk about, Oh, is the New York times going to eventually, you know, just be this dinosaur that just falls down and, and ceases publication. I just think when you get to the level where you've had these publications that have been around for like more than a hundred years, they're always going to exist in some form. You're not going to get rid of them. It's not, it's not like Politico, which just, you know, cropped up during the digital age and the age of the internet and all that. It's, it's not one of those coming and going potentially things. So I, I think that bodes well for us. I completely agree. All right. Last question. You're, I guess, taking off your reporter's hat, you know, what, what do you envision for yourself as a Rhode Islander? I mean, are you in it for the long haul? I mean, that's a tough thing to say. No, no commitments here because it, of the nature of the beast of, of our lives and, and the business that you're in. But do you see yourself as somebody who, you know, is another Kathy Gregg, somebody who is like generationally people turn to, and is that kind of on your mind or are you more focused on, let me, let me see how this year goes, this next five years, whatever it is. Oh, wow. I don't think anybody could be Kathy Gregg, but Kathy Gregg. <laughs> well, that's definitely but, true. <laughs> um, but I, I definitely, I see myself as a long hauler. I mean, this, 
for me, I, I haven't really thought past uh, my time here. And I think in a lot of ways, that's that's a good thing. It, it means something good. I feel settled here. I feel like, you know, this this is a good fit. It's a place where I can grow, which is not something I, I can say for every job I've had. I think that it's, it's a special and important thing when you're in a space where you feel like you can evolve as a reporter, as a writer. I hope at least I, I it's hard for me to think super far down the line in terms of how what I would want to be as a reporter. I can say uh, news wise, I do feel quite drawn to the crime and policing beat in a way that I didn't think I would be. Um, so I, I've been enjoying working on that. Um, I've also been enjoying, uh, I don't know if enjoying is the right word, but we've done a few victim impact stories related to uh, the uh, shootings that have happened in Providence, speaking to families, speaking to friends of, of uh, people who have uh, been lost. And I think that's very important. I think there needs to be more of that in our media landscape here in Rhode Island. I think a lot of those stories get overlooked uh, the impact of the violence that we're seeing, the, the lifelong impact it'll have for the people that are left. So um, I always feel honored when I can tell one of those stories. That's something I'd like to do more of. And column wise, I want to do the column as long as we'll let me do the column because yeah. I just love that thing. So awesome. hopefully that'll go on for a while. I bet it will until you're like no longer a new Rhode Islander and they're like, all right, let's just make this something different, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that would be great. Rhode Island's podcast of record, B-Town.